0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Um, Just a couple of things before uh, we jump into the sermon. Um, I would remind you, if you haven't already, to... Order your New City Catechism book. Um, ours has taken a little bit longer to get here than I had hoped. Uh, Three-day shipping now means like 10-day shipping. So, well, three days um, from when it leaves the warehouse. Three days from when it leaves the warehouse, and it takes seven to eight weeks to process. So <laughs> that's what it feels like right now. So we've got some books coming in on Wednesday, but there are uh, we do have little ones for the kids already, so uh, you don't have to worry about ordering those for them. Um so, if you haven't got uh, your book or are unable, I did order a handful um, so um, those should be here on Wednesday, and then we'll do that all uh, we'll, we'll do that all together at the same time. Yes, of uh they're like seventeen, eighteen dollars, something right in there, someplace. Um, the processing fee if you buy one for me, is thirty five dollars so <laughs> <laughs> um, no um. So I, another thing that kind of sh- struck me uh, when Andy was sharing, um, uh, he said that that Crossroads Church has, has been a big supporter of LifeBridge over the years. And some of you may have just been hearing about LifeBridge for the first time today or might be wondering, or maybe you've been here for 10 years and still don't know how are we doing that. Um, so... Uh, Ten percent of all of the money that is given here um, to the church, whether through the website or just your offerings, um, goes back out again. And LifeBridge is one of the recipients of that. Um, so, And there's not a, a lot of uh, different places where that goes. And LifeBridge is, is one of those places. So we're able to, to um, support them financially. But uh, certainly the um, involvement in the me- mentoring I think it's better than money. I mean, I, Andy still has to eat and stuff, but, I mean, <laughs> providing mentors for the kids is, is, um, is way better. So anyway, um, my favorite story uh, about Andy and LifeBridge is how we met for the first time. Um, Eleven years ago, uh, I was on my way here to this building, To meet with a pulpit committee. I think that's what they were called. The pulpit committee, a search committee looking for a pastor. Um, Linda and Forrest, were you on that group? I know Linda was. There aren't a lot of people left. (laughs) Anyway, I was coming to meet with the church about um, the possibility of being called here as pastor. and I'm compulsively early, especially when I'm nervous. So I got to town like an hour early before I was supposed to meet anybody here. And now I have to find something for myself to do. So I went down to the covered bridge. And I, uh, if you've never been down to the covered bridge, I don't know if it's still Philly. Philly's dad painted like Jesus is Lord on the, the concrete abutments that held the bridge up. What a blessing that was. I'm like searching for God's will here. And that's, a, that's the message that I got there, uh, which was fantastic. And, um, but I could only take that so much. And I was really hungry. So I went to Subway to get something to eat before. Uh, so I wasn't sitting in an interview nervous as a cat with my stomach grumbling. And, um, and, I, and I got my, my dinner and I ate and in like 12 seconds. Uh, so I'm still sitting there with plenty of time to kill, um, and in comes Andy, who I didn't know, didn't, you know, just another person at Subway, and he got his sandwich and sat down. And I was at the time it was before Subway was rebuilt. There was just a row of seats, so just kind of staring down the corridor, and and Andy came in and he sat down, and and he bowed his head and gave thanks. For his meal and then started eating his sandwich and I thought well this can't at all be coincidental that I just observed this I'm wondering what's going to happen in my life and my family and and uh, so I walked over to Andy and said i I can't help but notice uh, that you just bowed to give thanks for your meal i'm I'm here to to interview at the church down the street can can we pray? Um, and so we did. And um and and here here we are almost eleven years later, right? I mean it's about this same time of year. It was crazy. So Andy and I have been friends ever since and the Lord's been good to our family uh, ever since. So just still the Bee that he was gonna be interviewing you. No, he was not on the committee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, 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 just um, that, that that would have been something, too. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's a great day all the way around. So it's a very encouraging day. So anyway, so we're not going to talk about that anymore. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter seven. Today, we're going to look at verses 24 through 35, and that's on page 864 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. You may, may remember, if you were with us last week, um, that we dealt with Jesus' interaction with two disciples of John the Baptist uh, when he sent, uh, John sent the disciples to Jesus to ask if he was truly Messiah or if they should be waiting for somebody else. Uh, and Jesus showed them, by healing the blind, the deaf, the lame, by raising the dead and preaching the good news to the poor, that he was, in fact, the one that they were waiting for. And that's kind of where we pick up the story this morning uh, in Luke 7:24. So let's look at that. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see, a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in kings' courts. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist had come, has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word this morning. We are grateful that you have given us one standard that we can take up and read, read for ourselves, read your words. So we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would take these words, quicken them, bring them to life in us, that you would change our hearts, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, soften our hearts to receive the message that you have for us this morning. We give you this time for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. As I said last week, um, I've always found the question from John the Baptist perplexing. But it's clear that even, even John expected a different kind of Messiah, one who brought the fire of judgment and not the grace of God. But even though John may have uh, faltered, that didn't disqualify him from his calling. I think it's interesting that Jesus waited for his disciples to leave before speaking to the people about him. Um, so they couldn't take it back to him and say, you should have heard how he bragged on you. Um, I don't think that would have done John any good at all. But as soon as the disciples, John's disciples left the scene, Jesus gives him a glowing condemna- a commendation, not <laughs> condemnation, commendation. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Some wimpy, wispy blade of grass blown to and fro by the winds of culture and pressure? Unable to stand up whenever the wind blew? That's not who John the Baptist was. And that's not who the people went out to see. That wasn't his reputation. John the Baptist was strong in his message, strong in his character, he was unyielding to the pressure of popular opinion. and He had no qualms about standing up against the establishment and calling them a brood of vipers. Uh, this is a guy, honestly, who spit in the face of popular religion because they were wrong in their understanding and their teaching. So what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Some fancy guy in fine robes? I'm glad they didn't come here dignified in the eyes of men, outstanding in his cultural relevance, and walking on his red carpet. That wasn't John. Not at all. John the Baptist was far from culturally relevant. In his appearance or his message, cultural relevance was and still is totally irrelevant. Culturally relevant, finely dressed people are easy to find in the palace, in the places of societal importance. But not John. He's out in the wilderness, out in the desert, out in the dust, dressed up like a camel, with itchy camel's hair robes. Wasn't really popular on Instagram and have all the followers on the instaface face and the slap face and all of those other, whatever those things are. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Ding, ding. Yes, John was a prophet, but more. More than an ordinary, if there is such a thing, ordinary prophet. What made John special was the kind of prophet that he was, he was Messiah's herald, preparing his way. The other prophets of the Old Testament um, prophesied about Messiah, about symbols and shadows from a distance. But John was up close. John's the only prophet that was actually prophesied about by the other prophets. This is the Andy thing on your resume, I guess. Jesus quotes Malachi chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So when Jesus confirms this, he's saying a lot more than just who John is or who John was. Johann Rigenbach wrote, Yes, he is, if you will hear, Elijah, who is to come, as Malachi prophesied. And before whom is Elijah to go prepare the way? Malachi says, before God himself. What does Jesus therefore testify about himself when he says that John has gone as Elijah before him? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. By confirming the work and person of John the Baptist, Jesus is declaring he is God. We can't miss that. For those folks that you talk to that say the Bible never says... Jesus claims to be God. It's wrong. He clearly does. You just have to look. I've said it before, and I'll say it again so we don't waste time with subtlety. Jesus is God. John was his herald preparing his way, a prophet who was prophesied about. And Jesus also gives him this ringing and curious endorsement. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Cool. If you stop there, great. But Jesus doesn't. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, can you do that math? Can you do that math for me? Like no one born of woman, women is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. You know, when I when I study passages like this that don't that just don't seem to jive on the sur- surface, I like to go to the original language. Maybe maybe um, Luke uses two different words for greater, and the translators just kind of took the easy way out and. And use the same English word. That would be um, easy and fun, but that isn't. That is that isn't how it worked out. Um, they're not. It's the same word. So how is John the greatest ever born and somehow not greater than the least in the kingdom of God? I'm glad you all have it worked out already. I, I feel like I'm just telling you what you already know. You've already got this. Even though John was written about in the New Testament, it's important to remember that he's still a prophet of the Old Covenant. Though he appears in the New Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet. Right? And even, even those words are difficult. Testament and Covenant. The Old Testament is the story of the, it's the testimony of the Old Covenant. And the New Testament is the testament of the New Covenant. Right? Are you tracking? I'm not, so I'm glad to hear it. All right. John, John, John is an Old Testament prophet, an Old Covenant prophet, all looking forward to Messiah. All looking forward in faith to Messiah. So, how does Moses get saved? How does, uh, you know, how do the Old Testament saints get saved? Right? It's easy for us. We can read and say, you have faith in Jesus. Declare, believe in your heart. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. God's raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Full stop. Where is that statement in the Old Testament? What about all of those folks? When we get to God's eternal kingdom, are we going to see any of them? Or is it going to be a smaller room? No. They're looking forward to Messiah in faith, just as now we look back on these stories and accounts, though Jesus is alive, right? So he's very present in the Old Testament. You just have to be willing to look for him. Um, the... the uh, My favorite story, and the one that's mostly because it's the easiest to see, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, thrown into the fiery furnace, but the king sees four people walking around in there. Who do you think the fourth one was? Just some angel? No, it's Jesus, right? Very fun, very cool. I'll let you do that on your own. Mostly because I didn't write any more. I don't want to say anything wrong. So even though John was written about in the New Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet, still looking forward to the redemption through Jesus. Another disadvantage that John has is he was beheaded before Jesus was crucified. John didn't witness the resurrection. He didn't get to experience the tongues of fire on Pentecost. It's not that John isn't included in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus, But his station and his work was still under the old covenant. So when Jesus said, None is greater, there's no greater office than the herald of Messiah. Everybody's favorite commentator, J.J. Van Oosterzee, wrote this Jesus speaks of the least of his disciples, and this not so far as they appear as apostles or evangelists, but without any distinction. He thinks of their preeminence above the most distinguished men of the Old Covenant, the array of whom closed with John. They had, through the light of the experience of his redeeming power, deeper insight into the nature, the course of development, and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven that had been the portion of John. You ever, think, you ever look at the Bible and think, I, how much better off am I? Because Jesus is saying, you are better off than John the Baptist. That's pretty cool. Because we have gotten to see how it all worked out and how it's continuing to work out. John was looking ahead. And we get to see through the, 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 uh, the annals of history how it's worked out. Now, when Jesus makes this bold statement about John's greatness and the greaterness, if you would, of those in the kingdom of God. Those people who were listening to him, don't forget, there were people there, and they had a reaction. There were two different, very different reactions. Luke gives us this parenthetical statement. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So the people who believed John and were baptized for the repentance of sin, looking forward to the coming of Messiah, declared God just. Right? Meaning that they declared that God's will that called them sinners in need of repentance was right. God was right about who they were. He was right then, and he is right now, that we are all sinners. The Pharisees and the experts of the law, they're a different story. Instead of embracing the will of God, declaring him just, when they were called sinners, they said, Nuh-uh. They, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Why? Why would they do that? They heard John. They heard his message, compelling as it was. They rejected it. And then here they hear Jesus. They hear his message and they reject it. Why? Well, they thought they were good. The problem is self-righteousness. The problem is pride, right? Pride is the sin that's pregnant with all the others. And here's self-righteousness in the driver's seat. Over and over in the New Testament, we see this group representing self-righteousness. Whether it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or in this case, or sometimes the Sadducees or the elders of the people. They're all representing self-righteousness. Those critics in the New Testament, that's the team that they're on. We're good. You can't tell us otherwise. You don't ever hear that today, though. Good thing that's a closed book. Unfortunately, this group is still alive and well today. And sometimes they come here. They sit in this room. Sometimes they stand in this room and face the back. Self-righteousness is alive and well. The spirit of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the teachers of the law or the elders of the people, whatever you want to call them, that spirit is alive and well. They don't want to hear about judgment. They don't want to hear about judgment from John. They don't want to hear about grace from Jesus either. Because in either case, you have to admit your own sin. Judgment has no place if you have no sin. We have no need of grace if we have no sin. Hey, I'm good. I've never killed anybody. So why did Jesus die? I don't know. Not for me. I mean, I'm good. I know that nobody, you know, we don't think this way. Don't say that sort of stuff. Do we? You bunch of liars. You just did it. Jesus said in verse 31, to what shall I compare the people of this generation, meaning this self-righteous group of Pharisees and teachers of the law? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. This ever puzzled you? What what is Jesus talking about? A little a little band you know playing music in the street what what is I've okay I'm the only one I've always been confused by this like what do the kids singing and playing music in the street have to do with this scenario what is he comparing the self righteous to what he's saying is that we played a happy joyful Gracious tune, you didn't want to hear it. John sang a dirge, a, 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 a funeral song, you know, and he played it on the organ. So you knew you were at a funeral, but you didn't weep. Neither one of them could move this group with their message. Jesus' message of grace didn't move their hearts. John's message of judgment. Didn't move their hearts. And no matter what song we play for you, it's not what you want to hear. Because all you want to hear is you're good. That's what self-righteousness, that's all it can hear. It, it, It cannot take condemnation, cannot take the need for judgment, cannot take the need for grace. So it's never going to dance to whatever tune is true. Neither one of them could, Jesus nor John, could move this group with the song because it's either judgment or grace and both messages would force them to accept their guilt. They didn't want anything to do with that. And that's still alive and well in the world today. It wouldn't have mattered who played the song or what kind of music it was if it pointed out their guilt and sin, they weren't going to dance. They weren't going to weep. The same is still true today. How often do we talk to people about Jesus? Or even just mention the Bible or church or anything? And you don't want to hear it. They can't take it. Because Jesus represents the fact that something might be wrong with them. Nobody likes that. Why would we? Because... Pride is in the driver's seat. Can't accept guilt. The gospel gets watered down today because nobody wants to hear about their guilt. Because without guilt, there's no need of grace. Jesus says, Wisdom is proved right by your children. It's those who have the wisdom of God who humbly see the truth of our sinfulness and our need of saving by the grace of God. Through Christ's work on the cross, it's those that prove that God's wisdom is just. And the question we all have to wrestle with, the first question, is, is that me? Is that you? Do you recognize your guilt before God? Do you recognize your need for his grace? Do you recognize the justice of his judgment?" And have you asked for his forgiveness? He will forgive you. He has forgiven you already. You need to accept it. He will make you new. He'll make you his own. All you have to do is ask. That's Jesus' message of grace. That's the truth of the good news that Jesus has made salvation and forgiveness available to anyone who would ask for it. So if you haven't already, ask for it. And you'll receive it. And be adopted as God's child and be a citizen of his kingdom forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the good news is so good. But we recognize there is no good news without bad news. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to touch our hearts and remind us of your grace and its necessity in our lives. We pray for those that we know who have rejected your grace, that you would soften their hearts by the Holy Spirit and allow them to see Jesus for who he is and accept his sacrifice on their behalf. And, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here in this room or watching online, that have never accepted your forgiveness, never accepted that the sacrifice you made on the cross was for them in their place. They've never asked you for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, even now, that they would simply ask you to forgive them, to accept your death on the cross, Accept Jesus as their Savior. Accept your offer of grace. Lord, we thank you for extending that offer of grace to us. For those of us that have known you a long time, restore to us the joy of our salvation. That every day we would celebrate what you've done for us, and that's how the message of the gospel will get proclaimed because people will see how happy we are because we're God's children, forgiven of sin and filled with his Holy Spirit. Lord, may we live like that every day, wearing our salvation like a T-shirt everybody can read so that they would know that God is just and his grace is sufficient. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.